You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Turn to 1 John. We're going to continue in 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to focus on verse 12 through 21, but we're going to move back to verse 7 and kind of read through what Casey read last week. And I know Casey stopped in verse 12, but verse 12 is such a pivotal verse here in John's letter, and so we're going to read it again, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 12. But look at verse 7 with me in 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this love... The God was manifested in us that God has, let, has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another... God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Let us pray. Father, God, we thank You for Your revealed Word. We thank You that it is so clear. We thank You that it is our life and is what we need to draw closer to You so that we know how to love others. God, we thank You for Your Spirit who reveals truth. And so, Father, this morning I pray, God, with our hearts clear and our minds open, that Your Spirit will speak into our lives and that You will change us. And that we will see this in a new way. God, that will allow us to draw closer to you and bring glory to your name here on earth. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so verse 12 is where we'll start. But before we get there, the Trinity is an unfathomable and yet unmistakable doctrine in Scripture. And Jonathan Edwards says this. I love what he says. He says, after studying this topic intensively, he says this, I think the doctrine of the Trinity to be the highest and deepest of all divine mysteries still, notwithstanding anything that I have said or conceived about it. And so I love this idea that Jonathan says, no matter how much we think upon the Trinity, that our mind, that there's still this mystery there, and yet it's still revealed in Scripture that God is three in one, and that He is true. And so although we cannot comprehend the fullness of the Trinity, although it is beyond our comprehension, it is still how God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. And the Scripture is so clear that it is three in one. Deuteronomy 6.4 says this, Hear, O Lord, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. And then John 10, verse 30, goes on to explain that the Father and Son are one. It says, I and the Father are one. 
And then in verse 33, he says, the Jews answered him, talking to Jesus, he says, for the good works we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. He's showing that God and the Father and the Son are one. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it shows that the Father and the Spirit are one. And it says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So God and the Spirit are one. Romans 8 9 makes it clear to us says that the Son and the Spirit are one. Verse 9 it says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. See, so we see the Spirit and Christ are one. And then John 14, 16, and 18 demonstrates that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one. So the Bible is very clear. There is only one God, and yet He exists in three different persons, in three different avenues. And we call this the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see it in John chapter 1, 1. And so to deny or misunderstand the Trinity is to really deny or misunderstand the very nature of who God is. And what do, what do I mean by that? I mean this, it's very significant that the Trinity has implications not only for what we believe or what we think about God, but also that how we relate to Him, and not only Him, how we relate to others. So this is very significant. So all, after the truth of the Trinity is explained, God is a relational being. And he was perfectly in relationship with three. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so from past eternity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has enjoyed the fullness of this interpersonal relationship or this social relationship or this interactive relationship, whatever word you want to put there, personal relationship. God has enjoyed that forever. And it was perfect and it was good. He didn't have to create it. It was there. He is the source of relationships. He is the source of all things that is good. And so John Piper explains this when he talks about the Trinity. He says this, From all eternity before creation, the one reality that has always existed is God. This is the great mystery because it is so hard for us to think of God having absolutely no beginning and just being there forever and ever and ever without anything or anyone making him be there. Just absolute reality that every one of us has to reckon with whether we like it or not. By this, every living God, uh, the ever-living God, has not been alone. He has not been solitary, the center of his conscience. There has always been another who he has been with. God, who he has been one God with the essence and glory, and yet distinctive in personhood, so that they have had a personal relationship for all eternity. So God has always been and always is. And so this is a great mystery, and it's okay that we can't reconcile that. It's okay that we can't understand that God is three and one completely. It's okay. But what we can trust in is that the Word says it's true. And so no matter how it sits in you, no matter how matter it sits in your soul, 
that you want to separate them and you want to use all the analogies like water and gas and you know, it's a gas liquid and it's a solid. None of that matters. Just know that the Word is true. And that we have to press on knowing that God is with us. That there's the Father who is our Creator. That there is the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that there is the Spirit, our Comforter, our Counselor, our Helper. And they are one. And so I say all this and you're wondering, what are we talking about? <laughs> I thought we were reading about perfect love. And we are. This is the root of perfect love. So listen up. Listen up as we get into the Scripture. But this is the key. This is what I want you to hear. This is what I want you to understand. The bridge between the Trinity and perfect love. The reality of it is, is that in this flawless model that God is, not that He created, that God is in this flawless, perfect model, in His perfect fellowship, created His creatures, that He designed us to be like Him, to think like Him, to be rational, to have wisdom, to have emotions, to have understanding. But the most significant thing that He has done for us is creating us in His image, is giving us the ability to love one another. To love one another. And so here's the bridge right here in verse 12. That's why we're starting in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. This is the bridge between Trinity and perfect love. It says the Holy Spirit. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. This is perfect love. And the believers claim faith. What is our claim to faith? Look at verse 12. It says, our claim to faith is this, that no one has seen the Father at any time. And Jesus is no longer visible here to, to manifest His presence. People will not see the love of God unless believers what? Love one another. Unless believers love one another. When we love one another, God will be on display testifying that, look at verse 12, testifying that He abides in us and His love is perfected. Wow. That is good. That is an honor and a privilege that we can represent Christ. And so though the world cannot see God the world can see Him through the way that believers love one another. There's a key there. And we're going to get to that. But hold on to that and know that. God has manifested Himself through His Son first. That His Son came and lived this life perfect. And He died on a cross for us and that He rose from the grave. And then He gave us His Spirit so that we can manifest this love to the world. Can you see it? And you see it, it's the crescendo of John's letter. It's like he's talked about love in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. And I know half of y'all are like, I'm tired of hearing about love and how to love one another. But he's building upon it each time. He doesn't do it for no reason. John didn't write and say, okay, let me tell him about love again. These people, they're a little slow. He's not saying that. He's saying, let me tell you about love the way the Father loved you. Let me tell you how Jesus loved you. Now let me tell you how you can love the world through the power of the Holy Spirit 
living in you. Wow, and that's a mystery in itself. But it's so beautiful that when Christ gave His Spirit to us, that we can be an extension of that love to the world and that they can see the love of God and not see us. So look at verse 13. It says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He gives us of the Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is Son of God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know that He had believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the, lo- and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So in short and in summary, we will increasingly love the way God loves. As believers, we will increasingly love the way God loves. We talk about this love, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that our love is direction. Our love is direction. When we grab hold of the plow, we don't look back. We don't look back. We know that the ground's going to be tough in areas, and we know that it's going to be softer in areas. But we don't look back, that we move forward. We continue to move towards the cross, towards Christ. And we run this race, like Paul says. And we labor. We labor that we're so exhausted at the end of the day because we've lived a life that glorifies who God is and not ourselves. So I love what he says in Philippians chapter 3. You can turn there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Just read this with me. It's just a beautiful, beautiful passage where we focus on the cross and forget those things behind us. You know it. Philippians 3, verse 7. It says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the suppressing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Now that I have already obtained it, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but that I press on so that I may lay hold of that which is also lay hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many of us as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. This is our claim to faith. That we understand that we are the revealed glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. That it is not I, it is not Jason, but it is that 
Christ, the world sees Christ in me and how I love others and how I react to others. This is the completion. This is how we are made perfect. We're not perfect in what we do, but we're perfect because of who is in us. And this is why we're directional people. It all makes sense. God creator. He loved us. He created us. God the Son. He lived for us. He died for us. He rose for us. God the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. He empowers us. He encourages us. He counsels us. This is perfect love. This is what John is writing to the believers. And then he moves on and he says, perfect love. We talked about our claim to faith. And here's another truth. And, and, and this, this passage is so filled with truth. And, and I know we're only here for a short moment. I know I only had like, you know, six hours to prepare this message. Not because I was lazy. Don't think that. Uh, Casey got sick. And so, you know, he called me last night. Hey, can you do this message? So I threw something together real quick. I hope it's okay. Um, but, but there's two things that I saw that I really wanted to, wanted to hang on for you guys. I want you to understand the Trinity and, and our claim to faith and how it's, how it's perfectly formed in us, perfect love through, through the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And also, I love the second part when we look at 17 through 21, perfect love and the believer's confidence in judgment. And I hope this encourages you and I hope it empowers you, God, to live a full life in, in the Spirit of God. Listen to what he says. He says, by this, Love is perfected with us so that we may have the confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And the one who does not love his brother whom he, he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brothers also. So look at this in verse 7. It says, by this, referring back, by this, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. And this word confidence, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It means boldness. It means that when we stand before Christ at His return, we can stand in confidence. We can stand in a boldness knowing that He delivered us. Not, not, nothing that I had to do, it was Christ. He delivered us. And so we can stand in confidence. And then in verse 17 and 18, where John declares that believers should have this great confidence and no fear on the day of judgment, the question is, why can we have such confidence? And he answers that at the end of 17. Verse 17 at the end it says, Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Wow. Did you hear that? Because as He is, so also are we in this world. What a stunning statement John makes. Unbelievable. That when the Father looks at us, He treats us, the saints, the believers, the same way He does His Son. That we are heirs. We are adopted children. Wow. He clothes us in righteousness. He 
wraps his arms around us and he loves us in this perfect love known as the Trinity. And so one day we can stand there. And we can stand in confidence just as our Lord and Savior before God the Father. And then we will see the fulfillment of 1 John. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. We will understand what John is saying. 1 John 3, 2 says, We believers know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Wow. I hope you're encouraged this morning. I mean, if that verse doesn't give you chills, I... So good. So good. And so then we end with this. Verse 19. John says this. He says, we love because first, because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He is a liar. And we've heard John say this before. We've heard John say, if you walk in the light, yet you look like you walk in the darkness, and you say you love God, then you're a liar. You're a liar. John is cut and dry. I think it's so good because he wants to, you need to know where you stand. We need to know where we stand in Christ. You either love Christ or you don't. You either follow Christ or you don't. There's no middle road here. So John says, he says, he says, if someone says, I love God, Yet he hates his brother. He is a liar. For one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And here's the, here's the, the crutch of this. It's brother. The word brother. Pull brother out of there and put Christian or put believer or put follower. Alright? So here, here it is. Here's the, the crutch of the whole thing. We're kind of ending up here. If I as a believer cannot love another believer the way Christ loved it, then I hate God because who lives in the other believer? God. It's the Spirit of God. So when we're at war with each other, believers, we don't represent Christ well. There's no way that I can say, I love you as a believer and see you and yet turn around and hate you. There's no way I can do that and still love God. Because God has manifest Himself in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I cannot hate the Spirit of God if I have the Spirit of God in me. And I know there's a fine line to walk there and there's things going through our head like, you know, I hate that guy, but he's not a believer, no, he says he's a believer. I'm not worried about that. Don't go through that action. Just know that whether... Whether he says he's a believer or not, your responsibility is to love him like Christ loved you. Because I guarantee there is nothing, there is nothing that you've done to that other person that is worse than what you did to Christ. And he nailed himself to that cross for your sins. And when he loved you, and when he displayed the ultimate picture of love. So we are called to love one another 
And so I emphasize brother here because this, because when the world looks at us, they need to see Christ. They need to see how Christ loved, how He forgave, how He served, how He gave. They need to see that from us as believers. Now we don't need to live in a hypocritical life. We need to represent Christ well. And the only way we can do that is by loving God and loving others. So then he goes on to say in verse 21, he says, In this commandment we have heard from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And that word should really is commanded. It's a command. It's not like a suggestion like, you should love him. It's a command. Love the brothers. We are the greatest witness as the body of believers. We are the greatest witness that this world will ever know of Christ. We are the picture and the image of Christ because they cannot see God physically. They can see God through the way that we live and represent who He is. So think about that next time you throw a post on Facebook. Think about it. Think about it next time you serve your neighbor. Is it selfishly? Or is it for gain? Personal gain? Think about it. Think about next time you give. Think about next time you enter into a worship service. Is it about you and how you're comfortable? And whether the guy can sing or not, even though Mark can? Uh, or is it about God? Is it about Christ? Think about those things. Those make the difference. So when we enter into this world, we can love like Christ loved. And so here's our response. It's Mark. You guys come back up. Here's our response. If love has been perfected in you, you say, I'm a believer and love has been perfected in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, then the world must see your love displayed through your obedience to the Word. It must. It must. There must be this display of obedience to the Word of God, and the world must see that through how you love them. If you are a believer, this is our response. Because perfect love... You can stand with confidence in your salvation knowing that Christ secured you alone. You can stand with confidence and love this world no matter what they throw at you. No matter what persecution comes your way, you can still love the world knowing that you stand in confidence. You stand secure in Christ alone. And then on the other hand, if you do not know the love of God, if it has not been perfected in you, I pray I pray that you would surrender your life to Christ and not the lust of this world. Not what this world has to offer. Because it's hopeless. There is no hope. Our only hope is found in Christ. So if you're wrestling with those decisions, please see me after service, Mr. Joe, uh, any of the elders here. Grab one of us. Talk with us. We'd love to share with you. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. Because the most important thing you can do in life is surrender your life to God. To hear His call. Hear Him calling you. And you surrender to His will. To His, to His life and not your own. 
that you will humble yourself and fall at His knees and worship Him. So that's my prayer is that if you, if you are perfected in love, display that love to the world. If not, surrender your life to Christ so that you can learn to love to love Christ. And that's the love that this world needs. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for John and his passion. His passion to reveal truth. His passion to be honest and say you are either this way or you are that way. There is no middle ground. That you either love God or you are at war with God. Father, I pray, God, that you move in our hearts this morning. Pray that your spirit, God, moves in a way that as those who have been perfected in the love continue to move forward, even in the hard times and in the good times, they continue to press on. If they don't look back, if they grab a hold of the plow and continue to press on towards the goal. And that's you, Christ. Father, I pray for those who do not know that, do not know that love, that they will come to know it. God, they will hear your voice this morning, that your spirit will move in their lives. And they will humbly surrender to your will. God, that they will be obedient to your word so that your love will be displayed to the world. It's in your son's name we pray.